Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. This morning we are privileged to have uh, Dr. Uh, Ken Kemper, who is the president of Grace Christian University. And he is here to uh, share with us this morning uh, the ministry. This is actually Ken's home church. Uh, he was, I think you were born here, right? And his father was on, uh, Judy, they, his father was on our original uh, pastoral staff at Brian. He lived just a few blocks away before they moved to Spokane in California, uh, Port Orchard, uh, his parents. And then uh, Ken and Kathy, his wife, when they went out as a young couple to the African mission field in Tanzania, we were supporting them. We were at the very beginning with their ministry and now he's been several years back at Grace Christian University. And so we're so glad to have Ken with us today. And he is going to share God's word and update on the university. And before he does so, we are going to have just a short video about the school. And uh, you enjoy that. And then Ken, coming up and share what God has placed on your heart. guided me in knowing what paths I want to take. When I think of Grace, I think really a focused community of people who are seeking to understand who God is and what God is doing in their lives and in the world. My degree at Grace Christian University has opened doors for me. There was a position that I really wanted, but I didn't have the degree, and so I couldn't even apply for the position. And by pursuing my degree and obtaining my degree, I was able to get a promotion and step into a position that I really wanted. For where I was in life with um, being a father, being a full-time pastor at a church, uh, being a husband, uh, it just fit much better for me to be able to do this online. Your professors too, You people walk in their classrooms all the time just to talk before lunch or something and they're always there and so it feels really welcoming. What I would say to those looking to take their degree path is to really seek out Grace Christian University and you'll definitely find that it's the best. Good morning. It's great to be with you. I always like to come back to Seattle, as Pastor Jim said, where I'm from. And certainly it's important for me as I serve as the president at Grace Christian University to give you a little bit of update of what's going on in Grand Rapids, Michigan at Grace Christian University. I want to thank you for the way that your church has from the outset and let me say it that way, as Pastor Jim said, from the time that my wife and I felt called to ministry to serve overseas in Africa, uh, Berean Bible Church has been part of that ministry. And in fact, this month actually means we have been, in the month of September, longer at Grace Christian University in our role than we were as missionaries in Africa. So it just so happens now I move into this became my full-time job, right? Because I can't look back now. Uh, and yet, your church has been engaged in both ministry overseas and now at Grace Christian University where we are. So I love to see the folks back here. Um, I will tell, and my wife and I will communicate about this sometimes when I travel and get to speak in churches. In fact, last week I was in Jim Shamaria's church in Granville, Michigan. So I spoke in Jim Shamaria's church and this year I get to speak at Jim Shamaria's church. That's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> That's pretty cool, yeah. And as far as I know, everything's still together back in uh, Granville, so hopefully it'll be the same here. 
but God is blessing. And uh, we'll have this conversation. I said, there's a few churches that are my, my favorite to speak at. And I always mention this is one of them. And uh, I think it's because where I come from, and there's a familiarity with the people here, and because my uh, brother is here and my, my family's been here, the expectations are you can't overdo it. Uh, there's no, nothing that they can say that was a little bit out of ordinary, because ordinary is already out of ordinary when you think of the Kemper family and you know them. So I appreciate that about, about being here. But let me give you a little bit of update about the college. We got those slides rolling behind me here. So we have core values, and our core values are that we are Bible-centered. We are a Bible college. So we changed our name in July of last year for a lot of good reasons to be uh, relevant in our culture as it continues to change. And you are on the forefront on the West Coast. When I talk to uh, other college presidents in the Midwest, I say that's nothing compared to what my friends in California and Washington are dealing with when it comes to cultural change and shifts. And so there were continuing to say it is very important for us in our methodology and how we uh, approach a society that absolutely needs more than ever our mission statement, which is graduating godly individuals who are prepared to serve Christ in church and society. But it means that we have to continue to make changes and be relevant while not changing the reality that we're a Bible college. And our Bible college means that we will have a significant amount of biblical study and serious understanding of God's word to be able to make transformation in the life of the student, leading to ministry, which they can do in the world. So that is really the defining core of what a Bible college is. Serious study of God's word more than a Christian liberal arts school so that they don't just see things through a Christian perspective, but that they are transformed by the study of God's word so they become effective minister of God's word in a world that absolutely needs to hear God's word. The level of biblical illiteracy in America is astounding. Even biblical engagement is astounding from generation to generation if you look at the statistics. And therefore, we double down to say we want students to come for our degrees. Right now at Grace, we have a very even division of when you ask me, what are the students studying at Grace? We have a third of our students studying full-time ministry of some kind, youth ministry, missions, pastoral ministry. We have a third of our students studying some type of social work, and I'm going to include in that criminal justice, one of our fastest-growing degrees, where they can serve their fellow man because they love the Lord, they see them in the image of God, they know there's an importance of redeeming uh, souls for Christ, and yet they are hired by maybe Christian or maybe not Christian social service agency. And a third of them are now in some type of business venture. We do business differently than other people do business because our business is a calling by God to serve Christ in the business world and in the marketplace for us to be a testimony for Christ by not just so that we have businessmen making a lot of money so they can support the church or serve the church, but they do it as ministry so that the church in the marketplace will continue to grow. So we have a very specific reason why we do business, and we're happy to see that continue to grow. And so our core is that we're a Bible school. Secondly, that we're ministry-focused. All three of those areas are about people, ministering God's Word to people, and a heavy focus on people need salvation, they need to be transformed, and they need to continue to bring glory to God in their lives. So we're ministry-focused. Every one of our students is required to do ministry as part of their classes and is being challenged to how is God going to use you both in the local church and outside the local church. So we're ministry-focused. Our third one is, is that we are grace in our theology. So we are the only accredited institution in America that holds to a mid-acts dispensational perspective with great pride that this is who we are. Now, the makeup of our student body, when you think about how God's been blessing us and we're growing, is that very few of our students will come from that background of grace churches knowing grace theology already. And yet, they continue to learn as they come, and we continue to see young men licensed for ministry in the Grace Gospel Fellowship who came from a Bible-believing background but didn't understand our grace theology. 
So we're very specific on who can teach in our Bible and theology program and their commitment to our theology, which would be a doctrinal statement of the Grace Gospel Fellowship and probably very similar to how you've written yours as a local church. And the last one we recognize is that young people between the ages of 18 and 25 are absolutely relational. And we say we embrace that, that they're relational, and it is through these relationships that they can be transformed. That is through powerful relationships of God-fearing people that they can uh, see that they become what God desires them to be because they're around other people who are like that. I often think of our campus as like an incubator where the time spent on our campus is, is always Christ-centered and always desiring to see each person live and surrender to, to God. Now, that's a process. And that's not every day, and that's not every moment, it's not every person. But we desire for that culture, because culture is so powerful, to be transformational. So we, we recognize that through relationships. We celebrate that this last year we've seen uh, graduates finish school at Grace and go out and serve Christ somewhere in the United States in our Grace churches. So right across the water, I'll see tonight when I'm over there, Ben Lange from Alabama serving in Washington. So we got a guy over there that continues to say roll tide and doesn't even know who the Huskies are. Actually doesn't, I don't think he even follows football knowing, knowing Ben. But, uh, but we've got Ben over there in Port Orchard and, uh, Ian is from California. Also one, a good example of somebody from, uh, a Bible church but not understanding a grace church now being mentored out in Virginia in Valley, uh, Bible church. Uh, and then you have, uh, Alex Tulsi serving in the middle of the country there in Nebraska. And then, uh, Kaylee is at our own, my home church in Rush Creek Bible Church. She just graduated as well uh, and is serving those churches. So we are about preparing for ministry and desire these people to serve in Grace Churches. We know there's a need for pastors. We have seen that not just Grace Gospel Fellowship, but evangelicalism in America today is suffering from an attrition of pastors who are retiring and a lack of people preparing for ministry. In fact, the statistics are overwhelming of who is preparing in an undergraduate program to be a pastor extremely minimal. In other words, the path into the pastor today in the 2010s and 2020s is more likely by about three times to be people who have finished a college degree in anything who then decide, I'm feeling God's call on my life. How can I go back to school and get trained for ministry? Or how will the local church train for ministry? That's very unique and different than how we've historically trained pastors. So we've had to say, how do we become a part of that? How do we work through that? Well, we have three different ways we're working on that. First of all, one of the exciting thing is we just recently established a scholarship for pastors who come to Grace and can be engaged in a local church, be mentored, and have an aggressive scholarship for their tuition so they're not accumulating debt while going into pastoral ministry. That's exciting. That's a brand new scholarship from an endowment uh, that has just recently been established that says we want to encourage in whatever way we can young men to prepare for ministry. Secondly, we've started to offer very aggressive scholarships for those that are in ministry, who are out serving in the local church to continue their education to get a master's degree from Grace in ministry or organizational leadership. And I'm happy to find that we have pastors in our Grace Gospel Fellowship who've come back to Grace because of the scholarshiping where their local church invests in their pastors and we come alongside and we match those scholarships so that these people can continue on in ministry. Very important. And the last one is something I'm really excited about because if you read something in higher education today, you'll find out that one of the most uh, aggressive, I can say it that way, trends in higher education is that there is non-degree education just becoming rampant in America, especially in the ministry area. So you look at this and go, as I've had this conversation with our faculty again and again, say, but doesn't that mean then we're shooting ourselves in the foot if we give them non-credit degrees to train for ministry? Don't we want them to come? I'm saying, here's the reality. 
Just like when we started our online program, these individuals do not have a desire to come and sit on our campus in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Therefore, we must take education to them, and we must partner with the local church. So we'll be rolling out this year two classes, two classes in the spring, and we'll build that uh, repertoire or curriculum of classes which can be taught on location in your local church to a group of aspiring ministers who have thought about it before, then they can go through Old Testament, New Testament, dispensational theology, how to teach the Bible, uh, Bible study methods. And this is something we think is going to be very important for the longevity of training ministers who do not come to a Bible college setting. And so therefore, I'm really excited as we continue to roll out that program starting this fall and going forward, uh, combined with the local church working with us. Uh, our enrollments continue to grow. This uh, Two weeks ago, we took in our, our class, which was one of our largest intakes of the uh, of our history and now we have what's that statistic say there 397 we're at 335 plus it's going to be over 100 online so we'll probably be in the range of four and a quarter uh students on campus this year will be our largest uh class in the history of our institution our online program started with about 550 and is intaking classes uh students right now so if you think about our numbers we're at about 350 on campus and about 600 off campus including our graduate program uh, why is that important? Because as you saw in the bulletin insert I gave you, we're graduating more students than we ever have before. The reality is, if this is what Grace Christian University is about, graduating God the individuals, then we need to graduate students who can go and serve Jesus Christ in whatever vocational calling they're called for. And that's really important as we continue to graduate those students. The last thing that's happening that's very exciting on our campus is that uh, we are in a major capital campaign, the largest in the history of our institution, called Expanding Grace. As God's blessed our institution and we've grown and the numbers have continued to grow, we've said we need more space. We completed our last campaign. We filled our, our campus and now we're going into this campaign of $4 million for campus expansion, which includes student scholarships, student housing and technology, and the last thing, dining hall and kitchen expansion. Grace is in its 80th year. started in 1939 in Milwaukee as Milwaukee Bible Institute, moved to Grand Rapids in 1961, became Grace Bible College. We have been... As you have just done, beautiful, I love the outside of your church, taking 1961 and trying to make it 2019. So uh, that has been the challenge as we've gone through. Uh, we had those days when we weren't allowed to go out and look at the construction because they had these heavy masks on. They looked like spacemen, and we were pulling up the 9 by 9 asbestos tiles. That happened to be when the board chair visited me and said, let's go take a look at what's going on in the construction down the hall. And they all went, no, you can't go in there. You know, we're pulling up the asbestos. And so uh, we've been working on that project for the last... Uh, uh, four months, and this is what uh, it looks like on the left. You'll see, I bet there's a pointer on this. Is there a pointer on this? Whoa, so that's the old dining room. This used to be the chapel where uh, chairs would be set up looking into the ravine, and uh, these are temporary settings. This is now the permanent. There's a, ter- there's a temporary wall here as we push that wall out, and we're pushing out that wall for another part of the dining room. So that construction has gone on all summer long, and it's still going on. Uh, and this is what our rec room used to be. Now it's dining facilities with brand-new tables, chairs, paint, and everything, and it's beautiful. Uh, that is full for lunch every day. We're moving from 140 capacity to 240 capacity for, for lunch and meals. That $4 million campaign is now at $3.3 million, which we say we're in the red zone. We're inside the 20 right now and uh, hoping to finish that and go to construction next year as well. So that's my short update about Grace Christian University. It became short because I talked so fast, right? You're thinking that to yourself. Yeah, I, I have been told that once or twice that I talk fast. But, you know, the study says you can listen four times faster than someone can talk. I try to bring it down to two. All right.
I don't know what the words per minute are. I think I have gusts up to 120 words per minute. Can we move forward and uh, can you pull up my uh, sermon for today? My sermon title says, what's the big deal? I am amazed, not just as I travel and get opportunity to speak in churches like yours, who are daring enough to host me, but as I interview employees at Grace Christian University for work, I'm the last stop if someone's recommended for employment. We have now 100 employees at Grace Christian University, and they are uh, overseen as I delegate responsibility to a lot of different people. But I will not have anybody come into full-time employment at Grace until they've sat with an interview with me. And the background of these individuals uh, is stellar. They wouldn't have made it that far through the interview if they weren't uh, people who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who are regular in a church, who uh, came with the right reason. They want to be involved in a ministry like Grace has, and they want to make an impact. And yet, when I made my comment a little bit earlier about biblical illiteracy, it's not just an understanding in what is in this book and being familiar with this book. It's thinking biblically. It's understanding Christian values and being able to articulate them when asked the question. Our society is powerfully influencing things that we think and believe and how we respond because the message will wear on us again and again and again to the point where we start to internalize and then eventually we find that we actually say some of the things that is being told to us on a regular basis if we are not careful and understand. Let me start it with an illustration. Recently, I was able to purchase a lawn edger. Okay, I had the trimmer with the little wire that always breaks and you got to replace it, all right, the line. Okay, I had one of those. But I was able to find, because the township which I lived in forced us to uh, put in sidewalks, and so now I have a lot more area to edge, okay? So I bought the edger, which has about a six-inch blade on it. But I went down to the, because this is who I am, the Love Ink store and found there was one sitting there, used, Briggs and Stratton, got the blade on it. I asked the guy, does this thing run? You know, I said, hey, for a hundred bucks, does it run? You know, and I'm, I'm quickly Googling, how much does it really cost if I was to buy it new? And I said, well, this is a deal, you know. And he comes out and he starts it for me. Yeah, look at this. And I try it out. I start edging, you know, around the, 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 the store. And I go, okay, this thing works good. I'm going to take this home. So I put it in the back of my car. I get it home. And I'm thinking, I got all this new sidewalk to edge. I got uh, my driveway to edge here. And I need to get it edged at least before the snowfall comes so I know where the edge of the driveway is. That's a Michigan problem we, we have. And, uh, and I'm out there, and I go, okay, let me think. And I get down there, and I bend over this secondhand uh, Briggs & Stratton metal blade, and I, I put it on. No, first I open up. I put some gas in it. I check the oil. Okay, it looks like it's got plenty of oil. I, I Over here, I put the blade in neutral so you don't start it and start spinning. I see over here there's a choke, so I put the choke on, and then I grab that little cord, and I pull. And I grab that little cord, and I pull. Then I grab that little cord, and I pull. And then I grab... Well, about eight times into that, I said, what did that guy do at the store that I am not doing right here? And I kind of did this walk away from him. Let me shake my hand. Let me go get my glasses on or something. What is on this thing? And I look down, and there's this little button that says, on. (laughs) Well, I learned that day that that is a very important button. And since that day, I've never forgot that button. And... It's interesting enough that sometimes there is all these things that we do that one of the most important things actually gets overlooked. And we wonder why it doesn't go that way. Interestingly enough, religious things can be that way. Religious things can be as if what is most important gets passed over. 
They can move in this direction of, I have these thoughts and beliefs, but I don't actually key in on there is a very important, crucial things. And people make faith claims about it. People say, you know, you guys are radical who are religious. You don't get along. You're always accusing one another. Some people use their religious uh, claims to judge others. They call others infidels. In history, they called them Gentiles. They called them pagans. They called them Pharisees, legalistic, fundamentalists. So he took their religious beliefs and looked upon others and actually judged others. Interestingly enough, when it comes to people being religiously persecuted, it happens when people stand for their faith and say, this is exactly what I believe, and it is important. Because Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me first. And so therefore, in our very cultured, nice society where we want to get along with everybody and we have these things, why can't we all just get along? I'm sure if we just sat at the table with those guys in the Middle East that no one would keep chopping Christians' heads off, that we would be able to reason with them. And we realize that, no, the reality is that all around the world, there is severe persecution. There are people getting hurt. They are unreceptive. They're kicked out of their houses. They're ostracized. They're fired from their work. They're excommunicated. They can't marry. And in fact... Every week, there are people being killed and martyred in Chad, Nigeria, Syria, Philippines, Pakistan, Indonesia, around the world. There has never been a time in the history of mankind where more people are being won to Jesus Christ than today. And there's never been a time in history where there are more people persecuted for the sake of Jesus Christ than today. How does that all come together for our civilized 21st century in America? You see... Sometimes it's about religiously taking those important things and saying, how important really is it? Well, it kind of begs the question, is there a real truth? Is there an authentic, verifiable truth? Is there something that we can say is true? And therefore, as we come back to some of the wars that have been fought in America and both politics and some of the other things and the signs that are out by protesters that say something like this, nothing's worth dying for. And you're going, whoa. As a Christian, you're going, just a minute. I know people that are worth dying for, right? And if there's people that are worth dying for, there's something inherently in truth that I am willing to give my life for. And so we ask the question, is there a verifiable truth that is so important and so valuable that we would give our life? And so I ask the question, as has been asked by many people, is there a source? Is there a foundation for truth? Because you can say, this is what I believe, and we're, we're inundated in our social media and our, in our uh, actual newspapers and otherwise and spoken media with, this is this person, this is this person, let's bring them together, let's have them talk, that's a good opinion, and you've all got this down. And uh, the reality is, we need a source of truth outside of ourselves and outside of our opinion. The doctor was meeting Mr. and Mrs. Smith, And the doctor said, yes, I know you believe, Mr. Smith, that you're a chicken, but you are roosting on my desk. Mrs. Smith, why did you take so long to bring him here? Why didn't you bring him earlier? He said, well, we needed the eggs, doctor. No, we need something beyond ourselves to verify truth. And so I would offer to you that we have a truth which we as Christians can never forget that it's not about Are we right because we are coherent in our conversation, but we base the reality and the truth and the authenticity of what we believe on God's word. And so God's word is very important as we base our. But is it internally coherent? Yes, it is. We understand that when it comes to God's word, you really believe a book that's 2,000 years old 
to make a judgment call or a value call today? That's what the world would ask us, doesn't it? And we, at that point, are able to say, yes, because that truth outside of us is coherent. We realize that that book was written by some 35 authors over 1,600 years with a central theme claiming more than 3,800 times to be God's word by saying, thus says, says the Lord. That God speaks in the word of God and the truth of God's word is authentic and real and reliable and therefore we can count on it for truth. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction in righteousness. You see, it's from the very breath of God. He, in his love and compassion and knowing that the world that we live in, spoke forth truth so that we can open the revelation of God and understand how this world works. It defines reality. It defines God. It defines mankind. And absent God's word, we're in big trouble. We are just hypothesizing and offering opinion like everybody else. But is it? Is it historically reliable? Well, yes, manuscript evidence uh, says that more than 10,000 copies of significant importance have been found along with historical evidence from ancient manuscripts. And we would say it this way. The more we dig in archaeology, the more we prove the veracity of God's word. So rather than digging and finding and disproving the truth of God's word, we continue to find there is truth for God's word and archaeology proves it. But is it verifiable? Let me think of it this way. Is there empirical evidence? Because our science community, which we should embrace, says, is there empirical evidence? Is there information that can be received by the senses, by observation, again and again and again, that proves something to be true, or does it prove it to the contrary? Are there any eyewitnesses that could speak to the truth and the reliability of God's word? I would say we should never bow down to those that say there is none, because we do have. We have centuries of evidence of the power of God's word being alive and active and more powerful than a two-edged sword. You see, we have the word of God and we have cases of drug addiction, alcoholism, abusive behaviors, broken marriages, all have recovery plans which the world has made which are sometimes effective. And then we have the greatest effect on behavior and mankind's addiction being the truth of God's word in relationship with Jesus Christ that transforms life and nothing is in the history of mankind transformed like the power of God's word. It is empirical evidence. We could have thousands upon thousands speak here today about how God has changed their life. Romans 12:2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. God says, go ahead and test. Live your life according to my standard. You will be empirical evidence for a world that's desperately needing empirical evidence. Yes, it is reliable. It is reliable. But then we come to another question. You know, that's all good. But do you Christians have to be so exclusive? Can't you be one of many answers? Can't you just be kind and come in with your truth and align it and put it next to other truth? And we can say that could be a choice, but there may be other choices because other people see things differently. Why are we so exclusive? Popular pluralism is rampant in America today. It says we are spiritually conscious. We need to be kind to everyone. There is no judging. 
We would hear it from Norman Vincent Peale. We hear it from Oprah. We think it from positive thinking people like Joel Osteen who, who, who put that together with good things from the Bible. And the reality is it's popular because it's nice. And one of the greatest values we have in our America today is to be nice. And I continue to think if Jesus Christ walked in America today, how nice would they think he is? When in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And Peter preaches after the resurrected Christ and he's witnessing to the Pharisees and Sadducees and he says, because we will witness and we will continue to speak the name of Jesus because that's where the division happens when we speak about Jesus. People love God, but you talk about Jesus and now we're divisive, right? And Peter says to those religious leaders, neither is there salvation in the other for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other name. And so, yes, Because the scripture and God himself is exclusive. We find ourselves following truth and being exclusive, don't we? All right, I'm supposed to pause and not click again quickly, so this is pausing. What difference does the truth make? When it comes right down to it, we are influenced again and again that how we are perceived by others may be more important and our image and our, and our propensity to have image management may be more important than uh, us speaking forth the truth. So what difference does it make? I think we read God's word and it says this. The cost of denial of God's truth says whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And we love that. That's really close to John 3.16, right? But we don't often read, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. I think if we got through our mind the clarity of, yes, there's life, and here's life, please receive life. But the absence of that life is this ominous cloud, and it's someone sitting under the wrath of God that God desires to make sure that his eternity is a holy place, will never allow unholiness to come before him and to be with him for all eternity. So therefore, he must judge sin if he's a just and holy God. And therefore, there is an incredible consequence and a difference in believing Christ and not believing Christ, because not believing Christ means judgment, the wrath of God. Not because God doesn't love people, but because he must judge sin and disobedience and lack of belief in him. That's a holy God. That's a God I want to spend eternity with. Also, when we read Isaiah chapter 45, he says, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn. My mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow. By me every tongue confess. Apostle Paul picked right up on that. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 11 he says it is written. As surely as I live says the Lord. Every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess God. So then each of us will give an account of himself. Wow. Paul said, quoting Isaiah from the Old Testament, that there will be a day when we will all be asked, do you believe the truth and have you placed your your faith in the truth of God's word or will you stand judgment before God without an answer? Romans chapter 3, he talks about every mouth will be closed because they come before God. He says, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? Why are they silent? Because they have not done business with God and received him as personal savior. 
Philippians chapter 2, of course, we love that passage where, where, where he, he made himself nothing and came as a man. So that at the end in verse 9 and 10 of Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, So that every knee at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is God. Therefore, it is important because the cost of denial is we know that there's a test at the end and the test is what God will do. But then what about for belief? What's the advantage of belief? Because that's the disadvantage of unbelief. But the advantage of belief is this, that as many as received him, to them gave he the right. We love our rights, don't we? You try to deny us our rights, we get pretty mad about it. Well, God has given you the greatest right you could ever have. And it says, if you will receive and believe in the name of Christ, you will have the right to be called a son of God. Some translations say children of God. That's okay, but if you go back to the context, being a son is more important because there's an inheritance part. There's a, you're the favored son in which I will give you all that I have as a loving father, and that means all of eternity, co-heirs with Christ. That's powerful, isn't it? So the difference that it makes is life and judgment. And God calls us. But how does one believe? How does one actually, as this verse says, receive and believe? Well, scriptures speak well of the apostle Paul when he's in jail with Silas and he's brought out and the Philippian jailer says to him, what must I do to be saved? And he says so clearly, sir, what must I do to be saved? Believe on Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The most powerful part of this passage is what he doesn't say. You can't pick yourself up. You can't say, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to get this right. I work with freshmen uh, often. And I have that question with the freshmen. So tell me your story about how you got right with God. Well, I was walking away from the Lord and this happened in our family. And so I did this. I said, at the end of the story, I say, is that it? Yeah, that's it. Jesus have any part in this story? Yeah, yeah, of course he did. What did he do? Uh, well, he's always been there. He's always forgiven. What about the cross of Calvary? What about Jesus Christ? On the cross, suffering for my sin and your sin. See, that's belief. And everything else is less than that belief. So, how do we do that? We respond fully in faith to God. Because what does it look like? It looks like this. Jesus Christ, it is a big thing. It's a big thing. And my question is, is it really such a big deal? It surely is a big deal. If you think about the cross of Calvary, and you think about our Savior without sin, suffering, and agonizing, long hours and hours of suffering and pain. And you ask the question, why did that happen? Was he unjust? Was it because of bad people? No. The answer is clear in Scripture when we take all of truth of Scripture is that that's sin before a holy God and the punishment that it deserves. And we read in the Scripture that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. That it had to be paid, it had to be punished, there had to be a propitiation, a satisfying of God's righteous anger about our sin, and that's what it looks like. So therefore, when we deny in our story of what does it mean to be a follower of Christ, it means that the blood of Jesus Christ was shed for me, and it was paid for me, so that I can come into family with God, I can have the right to be a child of God. That is a big deal. You see, because the cross is a big deal. God made it a big deal, and therefore it is something that we must do. So how do we do that? We respond We respond in faith. Here's how Apostle Paul said it, how we respond. He says, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. 
I want to tell you that now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So you may be in this room today and you say, okay, I get it now. It's about the cross. And Paul, talking to the Corinthians, says, and so therefore, if you understand God's favor and you understand the cross of Calvary, today is the day of salvation. It may have been 2,000 years ago on the cross, the provision, but the application is the day in which you make a profession of faith to say, God, I recognize that that salvation was for me. And it really looks like this for us as Americans. Here's what it looks like. We kind of got it all together. It's easy for us to survive. When we talk about the problems which we have, it's really amazing to think in comparison to some of the problems in the world, how, how minuscule they are. And yet they are problems, right? So we've got it sterilized so much when it comes to living the Christian life that it becomes a, the biggest issue we have about dealing with the salvation that Christ has offered us is our own encumbrances of our own pride and our own selfishness and our own reality that I can do this. I've got this, Lord. I really don't need your help in that. So I want to phrase it that way. What we need to do is basically transfer our trust from ourselves because we cannot do this ourselves. If we could do this ourselves, why was there a cross of Calvary? Why did Jesus have such suffering and agony if, if it was not absolutely necessary for your salvation and for mine? No, it was necessary because I can't do this on my own. You see, we like to think of it this way. Well, God's my, God's my go-to. If things get bad, I can always go to God. And we had a song today, a hideaway. So we think he's a refuge. We're going to go to him. If things get bad, he's a place where I can go. Because at some point, I might, I might need him. You know, I might need to lean on him because I might not be all together. I might have surgery or something. I, I kind of need to have this go-to if things get bad. And that's not the reality of the Bible's description of life with and without Christ. Life with and without Christ is not a safety line that we hook in case we fall. It's a free fall in which Christ enters into our life and saves us and says, I want you to be my child and I want to be your savior. That is the call of salvation for you today to transfer your trust and to say Christ died on the cross for my sins. Ephesians chapter two talks about being dead in your trespasses and sin, but being alive together with Christ because by grace you have been saved. So let me summarize it all. It's a truth that is a matter of life and death. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for my sin and for your sin. Today, you can have the right to be a child of God and a holy child of God by transferring your trust from yourself to God. It's as simple as this. A, B, C. Accept the gift of God given by Christ's death. B, believe Jesus Christ died to pay for your sin. And C, confess your self-reliance and sin to God. That's the salvation story. And yet is a story that... I'm preaching to people today that I know have received this gift, and yet there's some who have been here today and have never transferred that faith, and maybe they are afraid to tell it to others, and I can embolden you today that this is important. It really is important stuff. So as we close, let me lead us in a word of prayer. As we bow our heads, God, I've been faithful to your message, spoken with passion about the cross of your son, Jesus Christ. You gave your one and only to die for us. You gave us something that we could never receive, and that is, or earn for ourselves, and that's eternal life. You became sin for us so that we can become right with you. So God, I pray for each one in this room today that the clarity of the gospel may be have spoken in a way that they've never heard it or maybe forcefully enough that your word has spoken to them and said, I need to transfer my trust to you. So in the quiet of this moment, you might do that by confessing your sin to God, by saying something like this, God, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. 
I acknowledge I cannot save myself. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe and I trust you today. If you can pray a simple prayer like that, that's a transfer from death to life as the scripture describes it. You move out of the wrath of God into the life of God. You move into a holiness of acceptability before God, of forgiveness of your sins, past, present, and future. So God, I pray that you would impress upon their hearts. This is the work of your Holy Spirit, not me, not anybody in this room. That you convict of sin, of judgment, and of righteousness. We give to you, Lord, this day and our lives as offerings unto you. May you receive all the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Kemper. I'd like to invite you to stand once again as we sing about that invitation, the open arms of our Lord and Savior. Come just as you are. Thank you for being part of our worship today. And if you have made that decision, uh, if the Lord spoke to your heart and you received Christ as your Savior, if you'd like to talk more about it, please talk to us. All three of the pastors have been up here today. You see who we are. We'd love to just step aside, pray with you, talk to you. Uh, please do that. Now I'd like to ask you, would you please pray for uh, Ken and the Ministry of Grace Bible College? Uh, every year that goes by, there are uh, Christian colleges that close down. It hasn't been easy. And uh, I've been just so thrilled when I go back to the college at least three times a year, and i got a personal stake in it. My oldest granddaughters are second year at the Grace this year. And I've just been so thrilled to see the attitude and the atmosphere, the atmosphere in the campus. And I know that God has put Ken uh, in that place to lead us in this very important ministry. So would you pray for Ken? Would you do that in this coming year? Um, I, I teach on their online program. Let me just share before I close. I just started a class a week ago, and as our students, these are adults who have busy adult lives, and one of them in the, in the introduction online to other students said, I came to Grace to obtain my accredited degree, but since I have been here, I have gained so much knowledge. I am forever grateful for God for allowing me to attend this college. My knowledge of the Word of God as well as Christ has increased in such a short time. I'm looking forward to the class. I'm looking forward to the devotionals. This has been a joy of this college for me since I enrolled, giving me insight on the passages of Scripture as we learn and interpret them. Now, what a blessing to, to hear these first-hand accounts of adults, uh, younger people, men and women, boys and girls, you could say even young people, who are, who are coming to Christ and serving Him. Ken, come on up here. I'm going to close in prayer because I want you to go out with me because there's a table in the back with information about the college. I'd like Ken to be back there, so if you'd like to stop by and talk to him. And if you'd like to speak with him, he's going to be around this week. Uh, get in touch with us at the office, and we'll put you together so you can have some time with Ken and uh, find out more about Grace Christian University. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for this uh, powerful message today to remind us the authority of your word. And Lord, what a blessing that there is truth outside of us. How sad that would be if that were not the case. And how much we appreciate today this message that you indeed have loved men and women so much, boys and girls, young and old, that Jesus Christ came to this world to die on the cross to pay for our sins and that you will allow us to come to you and, to, and allow us to be your children. And Father, we pray as we go forward, we look forward to this year to come. And we pray for the young people who are back on campus this year. I pray for all those who are in the online program. And we pray that together, Lord, uh, we will see lives continue to change, to have an impact on this world, 
And Father, most of all, we just thank you today as a humble, humble people for how much you care and love for us. And we leave this place knowing that we'll walk with you this week. In Christ's name, all of God's people can say it together. Amen. Amen. Ken, come on back here with us.